Well, good morning, Biltmore Church. Uh, for those who missed it, my name is Dan Leanne. Uh, I was born in Melbourne, Australia. That's the reason my voice is this way. Uh, my mother and father are Malaysian Chinese. That's the reason my face is this way. Uh, but now I live in Anderson, South Carolina. That's the reason I have type 2 diabetes. And I get to serve as one of the teaching pastors at New Spring Church, and it really is an honor and privilege to come and serve y'all here um, in North Carolina this morning. I've got so much love for Pastor Bruce and his whole team. Uh, got to do something with the students or the, I think the college students earlier um, this year, and I just know that God is doing something special. God is doing something unique. Uh, God is doing something unprecedented. Come on, and God is doing something new here at Biltmore Church. Can someone say a good amen to that? Well, we are in a series called Love Your Neighbor, and I got told that if I stick to time in this message, I'm going to be taking that for some free sushi, and I like me some free sushi. So I want to spend a few minutes just talking about this concept of loving your neighbor. And uh, I love uh, the, the, the thought of uh, a church in love with Jesus and how that flows so naturally and so powerfully into a love for the people around them. And that brings hope to their world. It brings people into the kingdom. And this morning, I woke up a little bit early, had the chance to stay at the Biltmore house. Uh, I didn't have a room. I pitched a tent. Uh, no, just messing around. Uh, the, the beautiful uh, folks here at Biltmore Church supplied me and my son a room. And, and I woke up extra early this morning just to really align with God's heart for what he wanted me to say this morning. I'm not just a preacher who opens up a can, heats something up, and delivers it. Um, I really press into the heart of God, and I really ask the Holy Spirit, where do we need to go this morning? And early this morning, the Holy Spirit dropped this phrase in my heart, and it's my heart's hope and my heart's prayer is that, 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 that he would impress this on all of your hearts as well, okay? In, in the whole vein of this conversation about loving our neighbor, sharing the gospel, shining light, showing love, sharing the good news, I felt the Holy Spirit impress this phrase on my heart, and it's simply this, there's room for more. There is room for more. Just touch your neighbor appropriately and say there's room for more. There is room for more. Let me pray and we'll jump into this. Lord Jesus, we love you. Father God, we exalt you. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Have your way. We need you to do what only you can do. So in every single campus, I pray that, what you, that you would open up our eyes to see, our, our hearts to feel, our souls to receive what you want to say to us today. And by your grace and for your glory, help us be your hands, your feet, and your mouthpiece. As we boom to this world, there's room for more. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. There's room for more. There is no question, there is no debate, there is no doubt. The greatest movie made of all time is the movie Titanic. Has anyone seen the movie Titanic? If you didn't put your hand up, I feel sorry for you. So many iconic scenes in the movie Titanic. 
Uh, there's, there's Royce, I'm flying, Jack. There's the, I'm the king of the world. I love, I love that part of the movie where um, uh, the, the boat is sinking. Sorry to, to ruin the movie for those who haven't watched it. But remember that part in the movie where uh, the, the, the Titanic like, goes vertical right before it sinks and there's a dude like hanging on in some railing and he finally lets go and he tumbles and hits the propeller thong, as it goes into, I love that part of the movie. <laughs> I love the song, here, far, wherever you, I, I love Celine Dion, just in general and especially, uh, the, 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 my heart will go on in that movie. But there's a scene in that movie that especially gets to me. There's a scene nearer to the end of the movie where, um, where there's a woman who is brave and she finds herself, after the Titanic has sunk, in a lifeboat. And it's obvious that there is space in that lifeboat. And so she's there and she has a friend with her. Uh, She has a sailor there who is commanding this little lifeboat. And surrounding her is a darkness. And out of that darkness, there is crying and and there is a yelling, people booming, could you come and help us? And it's evident that in in that boat, there are three or four people in there, but there are many seats left over. So she bravely responds and says, we have to take this lifeboat into the darkness. There's room for more. And so she she asks a friend, okay, grab an oar and let's take this boat into the darkness and see if we can help. But the first thing she experiences is the voice of apathy. Apathy where another person in the lifeboat says, if we go out there, we're gonna get swamped by people and and we have our seat in the lifeboat, so just sit down and be quiet. This brave woman would push back once again and said, no, we can't sit here in this lifeboat knowing there is room for more and there are people out there drowning right now. Please help me, grab an oar and let's go into the darkness to which the sailor replied, woman, sit down and be quiet. Aren't you afraid at the thought of having this boat capsize as well? We can't do anything. Yet one more time, this woman would reply, no, we can't just sit here in this lifeboat, safe and dry. Our family is out there. Our friends are out there. There are people drowning out there. And there is room for more. So she turns to her friend and begs one more time, can you please grab an oar and help me take this boat out into the darkness? I can hear their screams and their cry for help, but her friend, frozen with fear as well, just closes her eyes and covers her ears and bows her head. Eventually, this brave woman does the same. The reason this scene always gets to me, the reason this scene always grips my heart and pierces my soul is because I see myself in this scene so often in life. I find myself as somebody found by God in a lifeboat, if you will, the people of God, the house of God, in the family of God. Once upon a time, I was flaying in an ocean of darkness, depression. Once upon a time, I was resistant to God. 
a rebel who was running in the other direction. But in his goodness and in his grace, he found an 18-year-old kid during his freshman year in college and he cleared his celestial throat and he boomed in my direction that I am loved. And it ruined me from the inside out in the most glorious way. And the Spirit of God has been piecing together the bits of my life ever since. So I, here I am this morning, an Asian guy yelling at you for no good reason. <laughs> Saved by grace. Kept by his mercy. In his lifeboat. But I know that there is room for more. The neighbors around me the people who serve me at the, the Starbucks I go to daily, the people at the golf course who serve me, the people at the gym that I, that I fist bump every single morning, there is room for more. But I get so frozen so often. The voices of fear, the voices of apathy, the voices of complacency, the voices of selfishness, Fill my head, drip down to my heart, and so often freeze my body. So I float on in my lifeboat, covered and kept, but with this gnawing sense deep in my being, I know that there is room for more. You've heard those voices as well. You've had the Spirit of God stir in your heart. How wonderful it is to be found by God, to find yourself within the house of God. But you've heard those voices, you know there's room for more. But those voices would say, sit down, be quiet. Don't rock the boat. Sit down, be quiet. You don't want to offend. Sit down and be quiet. Hey, you live in the Asheville area, everyone kind of like does their own thing and has their own beliefs and kind of is not really polite or politically correct to kind of encroach in anyone's belief. You've heard those voices. There's room for more, but those voices of apathy, the voices of selfishness, the voices of fear, the voices of complacency, so often for all of us, Amen. Have a sit down and be quiet, even though there is room for more. And so I ask myself this question, yo Jesus, how would you respond? Jesus, recognizing this wrestle that all of us engage in, knowing that there is room for more, but so often frozen by fear, apathy, and selfishness, Jesus, how would you lovingly respond? So every single time I have a question about what Jesus would say, I go back to the Bible and have a look at what Jesus did say because you've got to understand that the Bible isn't an archaic piece of literature from back in the day. The Bible is a living, breathing conversation that God wants to have with us every day. And so when you open up the Word of God, it's God speaking in your direction. So if you have a Bible, would you go with me to a time where Jesus spoke to a bunch of people who found themselves in a lifeboat, but they're put into that lifeboat because there's plenty of room for more. But these people were frozen by fear, apathy, and selfishness. And Jesus replies and responds. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to the book of Luke. Everyone say Luke. Luke. 
Say Luke like an Australian. Luke. Say Luke like an American. Luke. Say Luke like a Chinaman. Look. Awesome. Luke chapter 15. And for those who have been around church for a while, you'll recognize this text. So often this passage has been taught as a gospel message, talking about the love of God and the invitation of heaven. And this story is about that, but before that, this story is about this. How Jesus was trying to stir people to recognizing that we have to live life through that lens, courageous and desperate, knowing there is room for more. Luke chapter 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Hit the pause button there. Can you see the context, the scenario being set? Jesus is surrounded by a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, the weird and the not so wonderful, the lost, the last, the least, people just like me. And they're hanging out and they're enjoying Jesus's company. Isn't it funny how the people who are furthest away from God found Jesus so attractive? He wasn't attractional, but there was something deeply attractive about Jesus to those who are far away from Abba Father. And so they're surrounding Jesus and they're hanging out and they're sharing a meal. There is food being eaten. There are drinks being poured. There is laughter that is filling that space. There is truth being taught. There's a there's a, there's a love being explained. There's an invitation being extended. And into this house party roll a bunch of Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now we've been conditioned in the Western church when we ever hear the word Pharisees and teachers of the law, we start to boo and hiss. These are the bad guys. They aren't the bad guys. They are more often than not us. They were the lifeboat community. They were the ones with plenty of room for more. They were the ones who were told they would be a blessing to all the nations, and through their blessing, the nations would be blessed. They were the ones who Abraham had, was their Abra, father, Abraham. Abraham was their father. Moses was their leader. David was their, uh, their great lead, uh, uh, their, their great king. Jesus would come from their line. These people were like us. They were the lifeboat with plenty of room for more. But instead of being desperate and desirous to serve the people around them, they were frozen with apathy and selfishness and they sat on their hands and instead of going to those who were far away from God, they muttered about them. Who is this rabbi? And why is he hanging out with these kinds of people? If he really was righteous, he would know that that woman sells her body in the night. If he really was a prophet, he would know that that man is a tax collector and a traitor. Why is he hanging out with them? And so Jesus responds, and he does it this way. Luke chapter 15 and verse three. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or in other words, when Jesus encounters a people who are struggling with going to those who are far away, frozen by fear, frozen by apathy, frozen by selfishness. He doesn't get into a theological debate. He doesn't beat anyone down. He's not trying to make anyone feel guilty. He simply explains to us the heart of God and endeavors to open up our eyes to see the world and those who are far away from God the way God, his Father, sees them. And he simply tells three stories with one purpose, trying to stir in our core this reality. There is room for more. And for the sake of time, we only have time to look at this first story, but he's making some very powerful and insightful points regarding how imperative it is or how imperative it should be for all of us to line up with the heart of God and to go after those because there is room for more. If you're writing down notes, I'd love you to just scribble down a few things that the Holy Spirit dropped into my heart earlier this morning. If you have like a leather-bound journal and a pen, you can pull that out. My old spiritual mentor used to say that a blunt pencil is more effective than a sharp mind in remembering the things that God talks to you about. So you can open up your leather-bound journals right now. If you have an iPhone or an iPod or an iPad, open that up right now. Find the Note app and thank the Lord Jesus for Steve Jobs as you do so. If you have a Samsung or one of those Android devices, you can put it away. I have nothing for you from this point on in the message. Just want you to scribble a few points down. They're gonna stir us, amen, come on, as a people to live life in such a way, come on, where we not only boom with our lips, but we live with our days. There is always room for more. Number one, recognize this. Even though we are all equally loved, right now it is the lost who are God's priority. That's gonna mess with you. So I'm gonna say that again really, really slowly in my best American accent so y'all can understand what's coming out of my mouth. All right, here we go. Even though we are all equally loved, right now it is the lost who are God's priority. You can't bypass that fact here in this story. He's saying, you know what God is like? He's like a shepherd. And just like you, if you went out for a long day of work and you came home and you found that one of your sheep were missing, you would drop everything and you would go after that one lost sheep. Now on the surface, I would say I probably wouldn't. If I've been, been out all day long working like a shepherd works and I came home and my dinner was on the table and family feud was about to start and I found that one of my sheep were missing, I wouldn't be that concerned, you know what I'm saying? I would like kind of maybe write that one lost sheep off on tax 
or like kind of, or you know what, I would even see the advantage in all of this. If I lost one dumb sheep, I can claim that one lost dumb sheep on insurance and trade him out for a smart sheep. Because I know that one lost sheep wasn't a very smart sheep. He, was, he, was, he was, must have been a dumb sheep because how do you get lost? You'd be hanging out with like 100 of your brothers. You're in a big open field. It's not like you're walking around Walmart at night. You know what I'm saying? So that one sheep that got lost wasn't the sharpest sheep in the flock. So I wouldn't be that concerned, but Jesus says here very clearly, God ain't like us, but he wants our heart to be like his. And he says, no, right here, right now, God's heart is racing. And it's racing over the one that is lost. The lost are so his priority that he would take the 99 and leave them in open country and go searching after the one. Now we don't like that because we have been conditioned to think that the world somehow orbits around us. That we are the, the center of this universe, that, that we must be, you know, the mo- we have to be the most important person to God right now because we're the most important person to us and God's just like us, isn't he? Well, the Bible makes it clear here. We're all equally loved, but right now it is that one lost sheep that is God's priority. Maybe this illustration can help you. Um, has anyone been to Disneyland before? Just lift your hand high. If you have been to Disneyland, if you haven't been to Disneyland, you know, you're not really missing out on much. That's just my take, all right? It's meant to be the happiest place on earth, but you know what I'm saying? If you go to Disneyland anytime, like during the summertime where every other American in the universe is crammed in there as well, it is not the happiest place. On, it's hell on earth, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> The first time I went to Disneyland with my kids a couple of years ago, it was actually 2012, we're hanging out there, and we got these tickets during like August, and so it's during like summer vacation, and everyone be down there, and we were like pumped, because it's the happiest place on earth. We get there, and it's horrible. Six hours in, we drunk all of our water. You know, we spent our entire vacation budget on one turkey leg, and, and hanging out there, and like we've ridden one ride, and it creeped me out. It's a small, it's freaking me out, people. <laughs> Some say, no, enough. We're going to have a great day. So everyone, just get in line, and we're going to ride this space mountain thing, and everyone be quiet. Kids are annoying me. And so I'm there. I grab my son, and Caitlin grabs Kate, uh, 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 my, my wife grabs my daughter, Caitlin, and I give everyone a speech. I say, we're going to have a great day today. We're the happiest place on earth. We've got off to a rough start. But like every good Leanne, we're finishing strong. Now out of the corner of my eye, I see a woman staring at me. I thought this woman was looking at me and judging me as a parent. So I looked at her and said, what are you looking at? She looks at me and then she looks down at the child, who I thought was my child. But it wasn't. In my anger, I had grabbed this woman's son and pulled him close to me. And that moment of awkwardness was swallowed up by this dawning thought. If I'm holding this woman's son, where's my son? Anyone lost a child before? Your heart starts to race. You think back to the, the, the parenting manual they gave you on the day that you, you had your child. They said, hey, not if you lose your child. When you lose your child, the first thing you do is you don't panic. 
what's the first thing you do? You start panicking. And you start, so you start like pushing through the crowd, checking in trash cans, shaking down Mickey. You start freaking out. Now, now my son was only lost for about a minute. He was just wandering around in the happiest place on earth, so to speak. But that minute tore me apart. Now let me ask you this question. In that minute, when I didn't have my son, which one of my children did I love more, my son or my daughter? Not my son. I love them equally. I can't separate my love for them, but in that moment, which one was my priority? My son. You are eternally loved. We are all equally loved because God does not love us in response to our loveliness. God loves us because it's who he is. If you could cut him, he would bleed love. He can't help himself but love everyone made in his image equally. The rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, those brought up around church, those who are new to church. Black people, white people, yellow people, warm, honey, brown people like you, man. We are all knit together by this common thread. We are equally loved by God. But right here, right now, it is those who don't know that yet. Amen? Amen. Who are his priority. Number two, I need you to write this one down. Just scribble this one down here. Jesus is not only trying to tell us that all are equally loved, but it is the loss to his priority. He's also trying to let us know that serving carries people home. That serving carries people home. And we have to get that deep in our spirit because a lot of us, when we hear messages about how there is room for more, we say, okay, God, I want to get on mission with you. I want my heart to align with you. I'm so grateful that someone partnered with you once upon a time, bringing me into your family, so I want to do the same. Okay, where to from here? Jesus says loudly and clearly, serving carries people home. That's the reason the story says the good shepherd goes out to find that sheep, and when he finds the sheep, he joyfully picks it up puts it on his shoulders and carries it all the way home. Now, I wouldn't do that. If I was a shepherd and I came home from a long day of work and my dinner was on the table and family feud was about to start and I found that one of my sheep were missing, I wouldn't be that concerned. Remember, I could claim that one lost sheep on insurance. But if I did go out into the darkness to go find you, when I eventually found you, I would not pick you up and carry you home. No, I would kick you in the stomach and ride you all the way home, make me come into the darkness to find you. But Jesus says, no. When God comes out to find us, he serves us and he carries us all the way home, as should we. Frozen by fear, apathy, selfishness, going. I know there's room for more, but where to from here? Jesus lovingly says, serving carries people home. That's why we do serve eight to eight. 
This is not a charitable work. Charity is a, an act of kindness for your fellow man. This goes beyond that. This is an act of kindness for your fellow man in the name of Jesus that brings, come on, people home. That's what we're going to do this afternoon. Whoever comes back this afternoon to deliver a backpack or to deliver a scooter or to deliver some food, what you're doing is so much more than providing entertainment or giving a momentary slither of joy to someone who has less. No, what you are doing, come on, in the name of Jesus, you are serving somebody and you are, in doing so, come on, carrying them home. Do not underestimate the power of loving your neighbor through serving to bring them home. The person who stands before you right now is a testimony of that. A couple of weeks ago, I was back in Australia doing a quick conference, and when I was back in Australia, my family from throughout Southeast Asia and Australia came together for a family reunion because we've been living in the U.S. now for nearly three years. We haven't seen her for a long time. And so we had a really big family reunion, and I was at this family reunion, I um, saw an uncle I hadn't seen for a long time. So we're sitting down at this beautiful restaurant on this Sunday night. I'd come from preaching my last message for that weekend. And so I come into the dinner a little bit late. I sit down next to my uncle, and my uncle asked me where I had been. I said, I've been preaching at this great church up the road. He smiles at me. He says, do you know about the first Christian in your family tree? He says, I do not. He says, the first Christian in your family tree is your grandfather, your kung kung. He says, do you know how Kung Kung became a Christian? I said, no. He said, in 1945, after the Second World War, Malaysia was left destroyed. And Kung Kung was very hungry. He could not feed his family. Now, next to Kung Kung, there was a Christian family, and he hated them. Because Kung Kung was the president of the local Buddhist association, and this Christian family next door would always invite Kung Kung to go along to church, but he never wanted to go to church. This day, Gung Gung was in, in his house and he was especially low because he had not been able to feed his family for two days and there was a knock at the door and it was the Christian from next door. Gung Gung was so angry because Gung Gung thought that that Christian was coming over to gloat and to make fun of him. He thought this Christian was gonna say, see what your God has done for you. Now come to church. But this Christian did not do that. This Christian simply says, I know that you are very hungry, so here is all the bread from my house. Please take it and feed your family. My Gung Gung was broken by that. And the week after, he found himself in church. The week after that, he found himself leaving his position as the president of the local Buddhist association, and he now found himself in the house of God. Your Gung Gung would have your mother. <laughs> your mother will have you. Think about this, one act of servanthood and generosity in 1945, way down the track, turned into a Chinese guy giving you bread here at Biltmore, come on, on a Sunday morning. Amen. Serving carries people home. And we're going to do it today in Serve 828. 
But wouldn't it be amazing if we started living, come on, every single day like a serve, eight to eight? And the ear that you lend, the hug that you extend, the meal that you share, the invitation to church you extend, the kindness shown to a neighbor, that conversation that you have with that mother that you see every single morning as she drops her kid off at the same time as you do. That person that you do business with and you golf with all the time and you know in your heart that you have a great story of God's faithfulness that you need to share. Come on, every time you serve somebody, amen, it carries someone home. Thirdly and lastly, I want you to write this down. I gotta get one of these iPads that never switch off. I might need a Samsung device after this one. Here we go. The greatest celebration in heaven, just remember this, is reserved for the lost's return. We've been told to love God and to love our neighbor because the greatest celebration in heaven is reserved for the lost's return. That's the touchdown. That's the end zone. That's the purpose behind this glorious work that is the church of God. The celebration that occurs when one lost person is served and they get home. That's what the Bible says here in the story. He says, if you were a shepherd, you went out, did a head count at the end of your time and found that one of your sheep were missing, wouldn't you leave the 99 go into open country? And when you found that one lost sheep, wouldn't you pick it up and put it on your shoulders and carry it all the way home? And when you get home, wouldn't you call your friends and your neighbors over and say, come and celebrate with me. My sheep was lost and now it's found. I tell you the truth, there is more rejoicing. Come on, there is more rejoicing. Come on, there is more rejoicing over one person who was lost that is found than over 99 righteous people gathering around celebrating God's presence on a Sunday morning. He loves the 99 celebrating, but there's something special about that one lost person being served to the point where they come home. That's so different than me. Like I said, if I was a shepherd and I found out that one of my sheep were missing, wouldn't be that concerned, write it off on tax, claim it on insurance. But if I did go out to find that one sheep, I wouldn't carry it all the way home. I would kick it in the stomach, straddle that thing and ride it all the way home. When I got home with that sheep, I wouldn't throw a party for that sheep. I would kill that sheep and cook that sheep and eat that sheep in front of all the other sheep to show the other sheep what happens if you wander off. But God's not like that. He says, I get home with that sheep and I call my friends and my neighbors over and say, come and celebrate with me. My sheep was lost and now it's found. What a strange picture. Could you imagine? On a cold Asheville Sunday night, a cold Saturday night in Western North Carolina, you're, you're, it's like nine o'clock and you're just, you know, you're, you're trying to tuck yourself into, you know, uh, into bed or basically you're sitting on your couch, staying warm and you hear a knock at the door. You open the door, it's your neighbor going, seriously, come over to my house, we're having a sheep party. Or what party? A sheep party. <laughs> my sheep was lost, now it's found. It's a long story, just come over. 
So you're excited to find out what the sheep party is, so you pull on your sweater and you put on your, your long johns and your, 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 your jeans over that and you kind of go over to your neighbor's house and you walk into the wildest party. The music is pumping, the drinks are flowing, the food is getting fried, it's amazing. Everyone in the neighborhood is over and they're laughing and they're carrying on and in the corner there is the guest of honor. It's a sheep with a party hat on his head and a blower in his mouth. That's a strange picture. But it's the picture that God deliberately draws. We think that the greatest celebration breaks out when we as a church hit that top 100 list again. Or we think that greatest celebration comes when we as a church pull off that really great event again. We think the greatest celebration is reserved for when we as a church hit that budget again. Now all of these things are integral and important, but the Bible says here, no, 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 no. Come on, the touchdown celebration is reserved for when one lost person is served and carried, come on, all the way home. I'm learning how to love this college football thing. When I, when I moved to America first, I got told there are two seasons in the South. There is college football season and there's waiting for college football season. I'm blessed enough to live in close proximity to the Clemson Tigers where our co college football season always goes a little longer than everybody else's. But there's one thing I like about the NFL more than college football, okay? I like how in the NFL you get to celebrate in the end zone, college football, they shut that stuff down. Because I like watching these little, you know, I like, I like that. I, I like these little, they, they row the boat, they throw the grin, they do it, it's fun. How stupid would it look? You're on your 40 yard line, you make a first down and then all of a sudden you kind of, you don't do that. Come on, where is the celebration? It's in the end. our end zone as a church. Come on. Is people getting served until they come home? Come on, our end zone is people getting served until they come home. Come on, one more time. People getting served until they come home. So we're gonna wrap, wrap up our time together. The countdown clock is rushing towards zero. When it hits zero, the trap door opens up here. And I become a real gospel ninja before you're like, he's gone. But what I wanna do as I wrap up our time together is really simple. First and foremost, I would love to give an opportunity to somebody who is far away from God. And maybe over the last 38 minutes, you've been thinking to yourself, my goodness, first and foremost, that Chinese guy speaks very, very good English. Second of all, you've been thinking to yourself, I don't even know if I'm in the lifeboat. I think I'm one of those people drowning. 
I'm the one who's drowning in my rebellion. I'm the one who's drowning in my pain. I'm the one who's drowning in my doubt. I'm the one who's drowning in my anger towards God and everyone around me. And if that's you here this morning, I wanna let you know, surprise, this is a setup. This is a surprise birthday party for you. And nothing will cause a greater celebration in heaven than your return to Him. And so first and foremost, I wanna give someone an opportunity to, to simply pray, hey, Lord Jesus, I need you. And as soon as you whisper those words, He grabs you with all of heaven's power. So on every single campus, just really quickly, with every eye closed and every head bowed and no one looking around, if that's you here this morning and you're going, I know that I need saving. I'm not in this lifeboat right now. I need saving. Would you allow me to pray a simple prayer with you? So I'm gonna count to three. And if you're saying, I need saving, I'm far away from God. When I count to three, just lift your hand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer that heaven will hear and everything will change. Is that cool? So on every single campus right now, if you're saying, I need saving, I need God, when I count to three, lift your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand where you are. I see your hands, I see your hands, I see your hands. I see your hands. That is so cool. I see your hand over there. I see your hand over there. Hey, let's just pray this prayer all together out loud, especially if you lifted your hand. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you for your love. Help me by your spirit. Live now for your glory. Amen. Can you put your hands together for all of those who lifted their hands? All right, on every single campus, can I invite you to stand to your feet right now? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a powerful prayer of faith and blessing, believing that as a church, we're gonna step into a new season marked by serving people until they come home. Come on, a rejuvenated focus on what really is the end zone for us as the people of God. Believing that as we recognize that there is room for more and we step out in faith with courage in our heart, with generosity in our hand, with the gospel in our mouth, my friends, we might just change the world. So would you just lift your hands with me as an act of surrender? I'm gonna pray this prayer and when I say amen, we're gonna go live back to every single campus out there. I'll still be here in Arden, but on every single campus, there's gonna be a live pastor to shepherd this moment. Come on, let's just do this. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. I'm so grateful for your presence with us. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would arrest our heart and keep it arrested. We wanna be so in tune with you. So Jesus, remind us of what you spoke to us today and give us grace to live it out by your grace and for your glory. We know there is room for more. So help us serve people in such a way that they will find their way home. In Jesus' name.
And everybody said, Amen. Come on, just praise God for a few moments here.